Good day, everyone. Welcome to Your Self-Help Quest. I'm your host, Joshua Melissus, and joining me today is Ali Darter, who is the director of the Bandana Project at Missouri State University. Ali, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So what is the Bandana Project and what do you hope to, to accomplish with it? Yeah, so the Bandana Project is actually a mental health movement that started back I believe 2016 at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I kind of heard about it the summer of 2019 uh, just through some friends that were at Rutgers University actually and they had done the bandana project at their school. Um, But the whole thing is just a mental health movement that is essentially in place to kind of break down stigmas and barriers surrounding mental health. Um, The whole purpose of the whole thing is that you take a lime green bandana which is the color of mental health awareness you tie it to your backpack or whatever bag you carry around campus and the bandana kind of acts as a silent symbol for people to know that they're not alone and there's people there who want to help Um, but it also shows you that those people with the bandanas are deemed safe individuals so they carry around resource cards that have information about um community resources, campus resources, like the counseling center, multicultural affairs, anything like that. And then it also has national resources, so national hotlines and all types of stuff like that. So if you were somebody um, who was struggling with mental health or you have maybe a friend that is and you want to get them resources, you can find one of those people that has a bandana and you kind of go up to them and it's a pretty quick exchange. You don't really have to give them your whole life story. You don't have to explain anything. You can just basically say, hey, I'm here. I would love to have uh, one of the resource cards and kind of send send them on their way. But it's really a way to spread awareness about mental health, spread awareness about the resources that are available, and just let people know that people care and that they want to help. Yeah. If I can't, like, find somebody who has the bandana, where can I find the resources at? We have an Instagram, so it's at msubandana. Um, we have, I have a great media girl who helps me with that because I am not the media person at all. Uh, but she runs all of that. She posts a great, she posts a ton of great resources weekly, but we also have, um, like in our story highlights, our resource card is saved on there. So if you can't find somebody or if, um, you're too, like, if you're too worried or too afraid to go up to somebody, you can always get those from going online. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you do like any type of events or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, right now what we've done is we basically just kind of reach out to organizations because we've found that's the easiest way is to go and talk about the Mandana project to those organizations, just because sometimes it's a little bit hard to do tabling events because you never know what's going to go on. I have a pretty small group of people that work with me on it. So it kind of comes down to our schedules on if we're able to go do tabling events. Um, But we've always been extremely welcoming to partnering with different organizations like NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, I have an athletics background, so I've partnered a lot with athletics uh, to kind of help spread the awareness and use that platform as a way to go to different games and all all types of stuff like that. Just shifting gears and going into more about uh, suicide awareness. I have a stat here that states students aged 15 to 24 are in the highest risk group for a majority of mental illnesses. 
the one in four will not seek help or treatment. Uh, why is that? Is that because of the stigma against mental health? I think there's a lot of things that kind of factor into that. So I think one of the biggest ones is that stigma around mental health. I think we've kind of created the stigma that if you have a mental health mental health concern or problem, that that kind of makes you weak. It makes you vulnerable. So people don't really want to step forward and seek that help because it makes them look not as strong as how they might kind of put on this front sometimes. Um, I also think that there's kind of this misconceived perception of what seeking help actually means. So a lot of people, when you say, hey, like, I have some resources for you, or I really want to help you with your mental health, all this stuff, they think, oh, you just want me to go talk to a shrink. Like, I don't want to go talk to somebody about my feelings. I don't want to do any of that. And it's so much more than that. But I think that kind of plays a role because when I tell you I have resources, I'm not going to say just go straight and talk to a shrink because that might not work for everybody. Sometimes you need to be open to that. And if you're not willing to do therapy, then it might not benefit you. But there's also so many other resources like the hotlines. You can call somebody and talk to somebody on a phone. You can uh, go talk to your general physician, a family doctor, and they can work with medications and prescribing there, which also has its own stigma around it. But it's one of those things that I think is starting to open up a little bit more. But there, I really think it just comes down to people thinking that if they seek help, it makes them vulnerable and it kind of knocks them down a few notches where if you're seeking help, there's people who want to help and there's so many other ways that you can do it than maybe just talking to a shrink or getting medication. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is kind of a big question, but Mm -hmm. why is there such a strong stigma stigma in the United States? That's a great question. Um, I was kind of trying to go through and see like why is there this huge stigma because it doesn't it really doesn't make sense on why it's there um from my own personal thoughts on it i kind of think about how the united states is such a competitive society we always want to be the best we always want to be on top and i think it goes back to the stigma of that it makes you weak so if we pretend like people don't have mental health issues then we we don't struggle as a nation so whenever you see kind of that vulnerability or that weakness of people are struggling it doesn't make us look as strong so i kind of think that's where the stigma comes from but i also think just um coming from my athletic side the united states puts so much emphasis on football baseball how their sports are performing at the olympics anything like that And we're just now starting to see how athletes are talking about how much they're struggling with mental health. And they felt like they didn't have a platform and they couldn't say anything beforehand because they didn't want to look weak. They didn't want people to think that because I have a mental health health issue that I can't perform still, which isn't always the case. But I just think it comes back to the United States always wants to be the best at everything. (laughs) And if we start talking about how like we struggle sometimes, then it makes us look weak and we're not the best. Yeah, and with football, there's like the the brain injuries too that, yeah. they, that they suffer and that affects them too. Yeah, uh, this football with the number of concussions that they get and how that can lead to not just mental health stuff, but 
just cognition in general. There's so much science and research behind it, and it's absolutely insane when you actually look into how detrimental it can end up being if we don't take the precautions that are necessary. Yeah. Since we're now in, an, in this age of social media and advanced technology, do you think we're more disconnected <clears throat> as a society, or do you think that has do you think that has had a, a huge impact on suicide rates? I think it 100% has had an influence with suicide ratings. Um, But I also think that we're starting, we're slowly getting to the point of where we're kind of opening the door on like breaking down these barriers essentially. And social media, I think people are slowly starting to realize that it really is just a highlight reel of somebody's life. So we're getting to the point where when we look at that, okay, well, it's a good picture. They're happy and we know that they're happy or this might be photoshopped or anything like that, but it's not always reality. Um, But I think it does lead to a form of disconnection between people, especially with the pandemic and the isolation that we have had from it. Social media has been the only way that we've been really able to kind of see what's going on in the world. But there's so like there is truth on social media, but there's also so many lies on it. Yeah. And I've heard a lot in the past about kind of going through and filtering your social media, filtering like, does this person benefit me? Are they helping me? Or do I feel like when I'm looking at their pictures, I'm having negative thoughts? Or is this information helping me at all? And so I've kind of gone through before and like purged my social media and only followed accounts that were maybe body positive or really talked about what the underlying things are with mental health, or I unfollowed people that didn't make me feel good. And so I think we're getting to the point of where social media can be helpful, but we all have to be able to take that step towards actually letting social media be helpful instead of letting it hurt us. Which is kind of, it's kind of a hard thing to do, but I think it's, it's one of those things. It's just like anything in life where it can be used for good and it can also be used for mm-hmm. evil. So what are what are some common warning signs of suicide? This is a great question. Um, I think it differs for every person. Like we have our prescribed symptom, 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 but I think everybody can look a little bit different. Um, I've had some kind of written out with them and everything. One of the ones I always find very interesting is you see an increase in risk-taking behavior. And this can look different for anybody. I've been skydiving before. If I go skydiving again, you're probably not gonna think I'm absolutely, like something's going on because I've done it before. But for me, it would be like, if you see me going out to the bar or drinking or excessively uh, abusing substances over and over and over, that would be a warning sign. Like that for me would be one of my risk-taking behaviors. Um, but for somebody else, that might be a normal week. They might want to go out all the time and that's normal. Um, but those risk-taking behaviors, you see that increase in those. Um, you also start to see where people kind of start feeling or talking about how, uh, they're a burden. They don't have a purpose. A lot of times they kind of start to have a plan on how they're going to do it. So it might be one of those things that you think they're joking around and they say like, Oh, if I like if I were to, this is what I would do. But that's kind of that red flag of okay, they've thought of it. So like maybe there's more going on there that we need 
to kind of either not investigate, but see if we can help with, uh, because that's one thing. If they start talking about it or start talking about how they can plan it, that's always a big flag. Um, another one is sleeping too little or too much. This is also a common symptom with depression. Um, but if they are sleeping all the time, going to bed at 8 p.m., waking up at 10, taking a four-hour nap in the afternoon, that's a red flag. Like, if they're sleeping all the time, that's a red flag. If they're not getting enough sleep, maybe they're only sleeping for two hours every single night. That's always another one. And then just kind of um, either feeling withdrawn, uh, feeling isolated, or having, like, those really big mood swings, that can be some too. Yeah. Because yeah, isn't irritability also like a warning sign as well? Yep, 100% irritability. Why Why is that? I think it just c- kind of goes with the anxiety behind it because you, when you start having those thoughts, it's like, okay, am I actually having this? Is this what's happening? But that doesn't feel right. So then you start kind of getting that irritability of like, this is where I'm leading. This is what I want to do but you also kind of want to pull yourself back from it. So then that kind of goes with the mood swings, the irritability, the anxiety of just you're all over the place. You're not really sure what to do because at that point, you kind of start to second guess your own thoughts on is this what I really want or is it not and I'm just in a bad place right now. For college students, what are contributing factors that lead to suicidal thoughts and ideation? I think one of the biggest ones right now is societal expectations. I think... More than ever, we're hearing a lot about generational differences, Gen Z, Gen X, Millennial, all that. I don't even know what generation I am at this point because sometimes I feel like I identify with Millennials. Other times I think I'm technically Gen Z, but I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) But I think, uh, especially for Gen Z and Millennials, there's so much on what we are supposed to be doing. And I think that can really hurt is you're expecting me to get a job right out of school or you're expecting me to go to school but that might not work for everybody so then we're putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations that can lead to mental health problems because we don't feel comfortable in what's going on um i think right now too especially with like freshmen and sophomore first time into college when we think about how long this pandemic has been going on it's been almost two years at this point so the last time they had a normal year of any form of schooling was their sophomore and junior year of high school. And so now we throw them into college and they might be somewhere they've never been before. They're finally on their own. They're not living with their parents. They are with a new group of people, a new schedule. So we're overloading everybody. We want you to be able to thrive and do everything you can as if life was normal, but life's not normal anymore. It's now it's the new normal, but it's still, we're kind of getting this overload of, okay, we have a pandemic. We have this, you're moving away from home, but you're still expected to perform. And people don't like, we're not really giving them that chance of let's play some catch up real quick and actually let you get comfortable before we start to throw everything at you that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And then I also think another one is just peer pressure in general. Uh, and this is still kind of targeted for that younger group of college students coming in. But when you come to college, you, the whole thing about the college experience is you get to go out, you get to do all this stuff. And I think that can add to not just stresses of 
school and social and personal life, but just what what are you supposed to do when you go out? What if you don't want to drink, but everybody wants you to drink? What if everyone's doing drugs, but you don't want to do drugs? That can just add another layer of stress that can eventually lead to those mental health problems. I'm in a graduate program. Mm-hmm. Me too. And uh, I, I, th- I, f- I, you know, I think I'm doing college the wrong way because <laughs> I'm, I am doing it like as what's expected of me. Mm-hmm. Because I, like last semester, I took like five classes, which yeah. is a lot, especially for with a job school. too. Yeah. And <laughs> and I, I don't recommend that at all to anybody. <laughs> I think most people who go to college should probably take at least three classes. Mm-hmm. Because that way, with you know, you have three classes, so that's not too much of a burden on your on your mental health. Mm-hmm. And then, because then you have time to do other things, like whether it's a job or hanging out with friends and socializing. Yeah. No, so. I think kind of getting that whole that holistic view of social, personal, school, like all of that is so important. And personally, I feel like there has always been something missing. In undergrad, I was a college athlete, so that's 20 hours a week, at least, if we're not traveling, devoted just to my sport. That was essentially my job in undergrad. But then I'm in 15 or 18 hours, and with that, we're all supposed to be studying, right? You have to study for all of your classes. So it was, do I sacrifice my sleep to have a social life? Because the only time I can go out is once a week, and I never get to go out or I don't get to go to dinner with my friends. So do I sacrifice sleep in school to have a social life or do I sacrifice my social life to stay caught up in school and my own personal health? But then now you switch into grad school and I'm I'm in the speech path program and there's 30 of us. We've been in the same program the whole time, the exact same cohort. And we all hit a, like a point in our semester this, we're in our fifth semester and we didn't even know, like, we thought this was going to be the easiest semester. We had really figured things out. Our load, like, less classes, less clients. And then, like, three weeks in, we were all like, we feel like crap. Yeah. This is the worst semester we had. <laughs> like, what happened? How did we get here? You feel like crap, too? Because we're all in the same boat. And you just think it's going to get easier, and then it doesn't get easier. And you're like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? <laughs> that's, that's, like like the idea that, um that's like what i had like the idea that i had going in into my the spring semester that i had because i was like this is gonna be not too bad yeah. you know i got this <laughs> and then it just it just killed me <laughs> and what's even worse is that i took two summer i took two classes over the summer mm-hmm. which was a mistake because i should have after the, that spring semester i should have just took a break yeah because that summer semester is rough but sometimes depending on your program you can't really take a break like for mine it's so prescribed on what classes you take what semester i have been in school since in my grad program since june of 2020 and the most i think i have have i have had off was maybe two weeks of like over christmas break and we have had school both summers all semesters and I, I will never forget all of us talking this fall and being like, I thought it was going to get easier. Like, why yeah. is it still, like, why do we still hate this so much? <laughs> but it, there's just so much that we're expected to do and so much that get put on our plate. And it's just like, figure it out. 
you don't really have a chance to not figure it out because you, you, you have to do it. Yeah. So what can students do to help themselves when they're having suicidal thoughts? So I think this is a really good question. And I think when I presented to Psychology Club, um, I presented the same thing. So um, I think it was Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State. Uh, they put up this five to thrive because a lot of times I can tell you to seek help. Come find us. Go see a counselor. Go talk to a friend. Go talk to somebody about it. But some people don't feel comfortable doing that. So I've kind of found this five to thrive checklist where it's a way to kind of hold yourself accountable to kind of go through it a daily basis. So our first one is establishing healthy habits that work for you. So what they suggest here is schedule your time. Like we schedule our study or we schedule our work time, put in a time that you don't do anything or you do self-help or self-care. Because like for me, Tuesdays, should I be doing schoolwork? Yeah. But I'm going to take that time to myself so I know that I can get in the right mindset so that the rest of my week isn't completely terrible because I never got time to myself. Um, also talks about physical activity, uh, focusing on your eating, just scheduling everything. Um, for me, exercise is a stressor because I was a college athlete. I hate exercising at this point. But for other people, it can really help them in just kind of calming their mind, just kind of getting in the right place. Um, our other one is building resilience and coping skills. So whether you like to meditate, deep breathing, mindfulness, uh, positive affirmations, anything like that. And then um, this is kind of where we come in. So finding local health or mental health support. So um, you can get a resource card, obviously, but there's also a website that we can go to. So there's uh, msubandanaproj.org, or not MSU, I'm sorry, thebandanaproj.org, um, where it's the national site for the bandana project but it has each school listed on there so you can go there and click missouri state and it has every resource that we have in our resource cards there too so it's a great resource to go to to find everything else that you could use and then um the fourth one is growing and maintaining support systems so whether it's a friend group family organizations on campus kind of finding your little hole of happiness essentially that you know that like those people are going to be there for you. And then our last one is just not waiting to get help. So this can be uh, having access to those hotlines, um, having access or knowing what to do when you get to that point. What should I do? Who do I call? Where can I go? So just kind of being proactive to the point of when it happens, I already know how to handle it. So suicide rates in America have increased for the past few years, and even before the COVID-19 pandemic, rates were high for 2018 and 2019. Mm-hmm. Why do you think the numbers are increasing, like, especially like at that time? I think part of it has to do, and this is going to kind of sound backwards, but I think part of it has to do with, even though there's still a stigma, it's being talked about so much more now. So, and even though people are still lacking on maybe reporting or seeking help, I think that number has still increased. So because we're starting to break down those barriers, more people are starting to come forward about it, which it sounds backwards because we've talked about how people aren't seeking help and all of this stuff. But compared to where we were, there's so much more talk about mental health now that like 
people are actually starting to come forward. It's still not nearly as many that need to, but more are starting to. So I think that kind of adds to that increase of numbers. And then I also think just, um, I think it comes down to really a place of isolation right now, specifically. Uh, People are starting to feel isolated. We can't leave. We can't do this. Or uh, you're not getting a chance to see your loved ones, depending on where they're at. Um, And I think that also affects participation, being able to actually participate in daily activities that you used to do, going out to dinner with certain people, all of that. So I think people are starting to feel like you only have maybe one or two people that you can see on a daily basis or that you can do things with most of your time. You don't really get a chance to have your bigger group of individuals that you get to see anymore. And I think, I mean, I went from living with three girls for three and a half years to living by myself. And when I lived by myself the first month, I was, I was in a terrible spot because I was like, I feel so alone. I don't know what I, I actually have to take a step forward and make myself go socialize with people now. I don't, I've socialized with the same three people for three and a half years. Like, I don't know how to actually be proactive and go socialize with people. That feels weird. So I think isolation plays such a big role right now, specifically in just why those numbers are starting to increase. Yeah. But uh, just to be clear, though, mm-hmm. like like talking about suicide doesn't lead to suicidal ideation, right? No, no, no. no. Okay. No, that, no. I, I think... Um, talking about it brings more awareness for people so if when I go and talk and I show you and I tell you the signs of suicide that gives somebody else to take that information and maybe they start seeing those signs in a friend and that gives them a chance to intervene and help them and stop that from happening okay. so talking about it is bringing like when I say more people are reporting and stuff like that it's more of like because we're talking about it people are actually wanting to seek help a little bit more because they're realizing, oh, people want to help me now. So like in what ways has the pandemic affected suicide numbers? I think that goes back to the point of just isolation. Isolation. And all of that. um, That would be my biggest. And granted, um, I would never consider myself an expert. I do not have a, I'm not getting a degree in counseling. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm someone who's very passionate about mental health awareness. Um, But I think the pandemic, the biggest thing with it has been that uh, isolation portion because you hear about all these stories of how people haven't even been able to see their families for a year and a half because one of them lives in California and other ones live here and they haven't been able to travel. Somebody's immunocompromised, all of that stuff. And so then you kind of lose your support system to some extent. Like you can talk over the phone but it's not the same as having that true human interaction. But I guess, because isolation played, in, I know played an effect with me, but it was also just the news too. You think like the news cycle yeah. definitely also has a, has a um, effect. I think when it rained, it poured with everything yeah. possible. We had the pandemic, we had everything in politics going on. It was everything was social justice. There was so much and it was so negative for a really long time that there, like, 
you you just like you were grasping for something good but yeah. it just wasn't there sometimes and that was the hardest part is it was like when can we catch a break i want some some good news out there I, like well that's what, that's what john krasinski did yes yeah. the on tiktok and everything yeah. it was actually i think it was actually called some good some news good or something news, yeah. yep i think i follow it <laughs> but like that's what we needed we needed to actually see something good happening because even though everything that was being brought up in politics and social justice was important because it definitely was there was validity there it was things that needed to be brought to attention it was still just so negative yeah and it's like we just we're already in a global pandemic (laughs) can we have one good piece of news right now what do you think is the most effective way of of, of preventing suicide and encouraging students to seek help i think it's just really talking about it yeah getting it out there that like talking about what it looks like and talking about how there are people there who want to help that if you come to me saying that you're having these thoughts or that you're struggling i'm not going to look at you in the way of oh my gosh like why like why are you doing that i'm going to look at you and be there as a support system and i want to help so i think really just letting them know that i actually do care I, if you tell me this, I'm not just going to be like, oh yeah, let's get you help. And then turn around and talk behind your back or turn around and not really care and be like, oh, she just needs to figure it out or they just need to figure it out. So actually talking and letting them know who we are, what we're doing, how we want to help, um, is one of the biggest things. And one of my favorite things that I've ever heard, well, it's just a little thing that I, I've always held on to is you ask all the time when you meet somebody brand new, how are you today? And everyone says, oh, I'm fine. Like, how are you? And it's just that kind of, it's like muscle memory. It's the only thing you have to say. Like everyone says they're fine. They're good. But my favorite thing is when people ask, how are you really doing? Because like, oh, you care. Like yeah. you, you actually care how I'm doing. And that can start conversation. And it just shows them that like, they actually want to know what's going on and if they can help me. Right. And I think some people have a reluctance to that because I know I do too because it's like, I don't like, I I think I'm always scared that they might take it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I guess in your experience, does it, does it work? Does it, like, do people actually, like, like, feel validated when people ask that? I have always felt very validated when somebody has done it for me or when I have asked somebody, I feel like it has really helped with conversation because, and granted, I don't just do it to every random person I meet. Like we just met for the first time. How are you really doing? Like they're gonna be like, who are you? (laughs) But with some of like some of the girls in my cohort that maybe we're not that close, but we're in this, like, we know what's going on. We're in the same, like, I know how I'm feeling. So like, how are you really feeling right now? That has really helped just spark conversation of like, oh, they they actually want to know. And I feel like that has always helped. Um, And when people ask me, I kind of get this feeling of, oh my gosh, like, they don't want to, like, they know I'm not fine. So that gives me an opening to actually talk to them about what's going on. Actually, speaking of reluctance too, I also know that because um, I was reading somewhere like about like how to help someone who's like dealing with suicidal thoughts and mm-hmm. ideation. And if, if it seems like that they're going to do it, that you should ask 
those quest those questions, which I know like a lot of people have reluctant f- mm-hmm. or reluctant about that, but you definitely should ask like, are you having yeah. suicidal thoughts? Well, and I think it helps both ways because if you don't ask those questions and that happens, then how are you going to feel about it? Like, right. how are you like? I could have done something, or maybe I would have done something, but it wouldn't have helped. But you never know. And as the other side of it, the person who is having those suicidal thoughts, it's the same thing. Somebody's coming to you and asking you these questions, not because they want to judge you, but because they truly care and they want to know if they can help. Yeah. So it's kind of a 50-way street or 50-50 street, two-way street of like the one person actually realizing people care and want to help them. And the other one of saying like kind of having that it's not like it's not too late, essentially, because if it becomes too late, then that can hold a burden on you now that you feel like you didn't do anything. So I guess, like, what can I do to help a friend or family member suffering from suicidal thoughts or ideation? I think one of them is just observing. Seeing, like, we know the warning signs. So paying attention to how are, like, how are they behaving? What are they doing? So that you know if something is off or not. So even though that might not help them at first, it's still giving you an insight on, okay, when they're doing this, they're healthy. They're in a good spot. But when they're here, they're they're struggling a little bit. Like maybe they're really social and then they all of a sudden stop talking one day and you're like, oh, that's a red flag. So observing to kind of figure out what is good and what is bad for them so that whenever they get to those points, you can help, you can step in and help. Yeah. Um, I think the other one, like we've been talking, is just having open conversation, having open communication with them of like asking them, how are they actually doing? What's going on in their life? What do they think is causing this? But I think another thing is being vulnerable yourself. So don't go to them and just be like, I'm having a great day. How are you doing? When you've had a terrible day, you failed a test, (laughs) you got a parking ticket, like you've had a crappy day too. Don't put that front on. You need to be vulnerable for them as well. So they know that it's not it's not just me. Other people go through this too because I think that happens a lot is people think, I've just had bad day, bad day, bad day. Nobody else is feeling this way. And then when somebody comes to them and says, how are you doing? And they just talk about how great of a day they had or are, aren't telling them what's actually going on. They're like, well, I don't know if I really want to talk to you about it. Because I don't want to put you down. Because you've, you've had a good day or you seem happy. I don't want to put you down with what I've been going through. Right. So being vulnerable and not saying that you can't rejoice in those good days that you have. But letting them know that you also go through hard times too. So I'm going to get a little personal here just like with my own experience. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I've suffered from suicidal thoughts and I've attempted before. And, you know, I was just I was just thinking, is it normal to feel guilt after a suicide attempt? I think um, I can't personally relate, but from what I have heard from other people, um, one of my best friends has been in the same boat and she also felt guilt with it. And I think that is a common thing because just from what I have heard from her, at least, has been that, like, you do this. And then when you when it doesn't work, when you when it you don't have the outcome that you were originally planning on having, that um, you think about like you start to realize what impact it could have had on other people 
if you would have. And I think that's where some of the guilt comes into. And I don't know if that's how you felt, but I know that's how my friend has felt with it. So what does getting better look like for, for people who suffer? I love this question. This, it, getting better is so subjective. It can be completely different for everybody. It really can. Um, I think for some people, it might look like you're putting up boundaries, which sounds weird, but I know me and a lot of my friends, we, we're terrible at saying no to stuff. So we run ourselves thin because we have made plans for every single night of the week or we have plans every single day. And then by the end of it, we're just exhausted and we can't keep going. And so I think putting up boundaries for people of saying like, no, I need this time to focus on myself. I think that is one way that you can start to see that people are getting better is when they actually tell you no for once. Like you have those people who always say yes. And when you see them telling you no, you're realizing, oh, they're actually wanting to take care of like themselves. They're focusing on themselves first, which is important a lot of the time. I think another one is just really um, kind of when you start to see them, when you see those patterns of where maybe they're going out all the time or they're doing X, Y, and Z all the time and it's not healthy for them, but you start to see them kind of withdraw themselves from those situations. You start to see them taking themselves out of those situations, not going out all the time, not doing this, and kind of distancing themselves from those periods where that put them into that low point. So um, I think just really, once you start seeing people take themselves out of the times where they are struggling the most and they're not letting themselves get back into it is when you start to see them getting better and starting to prioritize their self-help, their self-care. I think those are some of the biggest things. Um, And like I said, it's different for every single person. Um, For me, it would be saying no to people. That would be a big one for me. Or um, some people, it might be like exercising, focusing on their eating. So it's completely different, but it kind of goes back to observing your friends, seeing when they're good and when they're bad and knowing, okay, when they're doing this, they're focusing on getting better. Yeah. Uh, before, we, before we end the show, I want to ask you two last questions mm-hmm. that I ask everyone. What is something that has brought you immense joy today? Ooh, today. To, like, just today? Uh, or I mean, like, it could be this week. Okay. This is going to sound really just dumb. But my favorite restaurant in the whole wide world is out in Republic, and they have the best pizza. And I never go there because I never treat myself, but I finally got my pizza, and I've had it like three days in a row because I've had all this leftover pizza, and it is my favorite meal ever. And so when I have come home from work, because Mondays and Wednesdays, I have work in school from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. I did not go home. So Mondays and Wednesdays, I got home and I had my pizza and it made everything better for the whole week. And I was so excited just to have my two pieces of pizza because it just it ended my days well. Yeah. And that was a big thing for me. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's something that you need to work on? Ooh, um, we've heard this a lot, but I think you hear a lot about imposter syndrome right now 
and I feel that so much right now. I am in my second to last semester in my grad program. Come May, I'm supposed to be doing my job full-fledged. I'm supposed to be working with clients, and that's terrifying, (laughs) absolutely terrifying, thinking like, okay, I have this experience, but I have no idea what the real world's actually gonna be like. So I struggle a lot with like, oh, I'm a good, like, I'm a good speech path. I have, like, my clients are improving. And then I'm like, I'm really not. Like, to myself, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm really just kind of winging it right now. And so I put on this really good front of that I'm doing a really good job with my clients. Or I put on a front that I know what's going on in my classes or I'm doing my job really well. But then to myself, I think, no, I'm slacking in all of these areas. So kind of getting like basically giving myself a pat on the back and realizing how far I've come and what I do but I can say that but I also don't do it so getting to the point of where I actually do basically praise myself of you're you're doing a good job but I don't I don't tell myself that which which is important though it it is important and I tell other people to do it and I know it's important but it it's just one of those things that I'm so hard on myself sometimes that I can't allow myself to uh, actually tell myself that. But uh, uh, yeah, um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate it. And of course, for our audience, please support the Banana Project. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to our audience, thank you so much for watching and listening. And for more content, uh, please subscribe to Your Self-Help Quest on on Apple and Spotify, and I hope you all have a very beautiful day, and make sure to take care of yourselves. Peace.